Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. I'm going to begin tonight to do some teaching on the subject of the anointing. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27 is probably one of the most familiar verses to Pentecostal and charismatic people when it comes to the anointing. We have heard this verse, quoted from this verse many, many times. I'm reading tonight from the King James. You may have a different version, but we'll read this one. This is the one, the verse, and the way it's uh, translated here is the one most familiar to me, and probably for most of you as well. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Notice the anointing is power to remove burdens, power to destroy yokes. So that makes this pretty important. Because if you know anything about your enemy, the devil, he likes nothing better than to put a yoke upon you that is holding you back, slowing you down, holding you in some kind of bondage. And he likes nothing better than for you to have such a burden upon you that you really can't function properly. The Bible says here that it is the anointing that will get rid of all that. So that makes it a pretty important subject. I want to pray before I get too, too carried away here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so grateful and thankful for the holy written word of God. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we can look back into what you have said. Over the centuries, you have given us so much wonderful truth. And through your word, you've revealed yourself and your will. And we thank you, we bless you, and we praise you tonight for opening this word to us and giving to us revelation knowledge that we will grow in our faith and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I grew up in a church where we, from time to time, when people asked for it, anointed people with oil and prayed. It was almost always done in connection uh, with the desire for someone to be healed, the need for their healing. And uh, some of you perhaps grew up in other kinds of churches different kinds of churches that have different kinds of routines and rituals and traditions. And maybe you've seen anointing in one way or another. And um, what I'm going to say may sound a little hard, but I just have to be honest with you. Uh, most of the time in those settings, we didn't see much results. Occasionally there might be, but most of the time... We didn't really know how to apply our faith properly. We didn't understand, I don't think, fully, I know I didn't at least, what that anointing oil represented. Because as you know, there is no healing virtue in olive oil. Now, it might be good for you. It's, it's very good with bread and herbs and <laughs> things like that. But, but it's not the oil when uh, James was speaking to the believers and he said, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint 
them with oil in the name, let them anoint him, the sick person, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Even in that verse, it wasn't the anointing oil that healed the sick. It was the Lord that raised him up. The oil was symbolic. It was symbolic. And it's important. It's biblical. And we see it in both the Old Testament and the New. And so it's not something that we should uh, have no uh, knowledge of. But as I said, for many of us, we didn't fully completely understand it. And I found, I grew up a little bit and found that that usually it's the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, the full gospel people, however you, whatever term you want to use, that have more to say about the anointing than anybody else. And if you're in the ministry, otherwise you might not be so much aware of this, and that's fine if you're not, don't bother about it. But if you're in ministry, you might, you know, have, uh, in studying some of these things, you might have found out that actually talking about the anointing so much is is looked at with scorn in certain segments of the church. And they talk kind of disparagingly of people like us, and they don't like that, talking about the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. Well, um, the problem with that is if there is no anointing, then there's a good chance there's not going to be any yokes that are broken, not going to be any burdens that are being lifted. And I'm sure you've already figured it out that even in our modern time with all of our convenience and all of the uh, marvels of modern medicine and all the rest, there are still a ton of things that can't be fixed without supernatural power. We still have lots of incurable diseases. Lots of people suffer from things that are incurable. Not all incurable things are terminal necessarily, but things that they just learn to live with. And we have a phrase we use in America now in the healthcare world, and that is managing your whatever, fill, it, fill in the blank. And you see this on television commercials. They're trying to get you to buy medicine and all the rest. And you do know that that's all about money, don't you? You do know that that's all about selling products. I'm not saying that people didn't have good intentions and that there aren't good people that want to cure people and help people. But I'm saying that corporate America, the pharmaceutical corporate America, wants you to buy that stuff or your insurance to pay for that stuff. And I'm not saying don't take it if you need it, but I'm just saying know that we're not going to find a cure-all in the natural. The only cure-all there is is in God, the Word of God. He sent His Word and healed them, Psalm 107, 20. It's in the anointing. It's in the power of God. To anoint means to rub, smear, or pour. We might use this, a more modern word. It is the action of application. When you, uh, if today any of you put any lotion on, you were anointing yourself. When you put on your deodorant, and I hope you did, you were anointing yourself. In the Old Testament, when the first high priest of Israel... Now, we know Melchizedek was a priest before that time, but the first designated high priest of Israel was Moses' brother, Aaron. And when Aaron was anointed, not only did he have, 
need to have on all the special clothing that signified his office and, and helped us to recognize that he was sanctified as God's high priest. But also he was anointed by pouring oil on him. And so much oil was poured on him that it actually ran down his head and his face and down on his beard and dripped down onto the skirts of his garments. How many want to be anointed with oil tonight? But the point I'm making is, it's, there are various ways. It, it, you can rub it on, smear it on. Uh, so, so it's the action of application. So in that sense, anointing is a verb. It's action. Someone is anointed. We anoint someone using it as a verb. That's something we do. But when we talk about what one is anointed with, that's a noun. And it is what we are anointed with that will determine how it works, what it can do, what it will do. The, uh, the, the substance of, of the anointing will determine the outcome of its use and its manifestation. So what we have is two things. We have a physical anointing that is symbolic of a spiritual anointing. And the spiritual anointing is the ability and the power of God manifested through humans so that the presence and the operation of the Holy Spirit is present and works. Now I want to say that again. I don't know if I can say it in just those exact words, but you'll get the gist of it hopefully. The anointing is the ability and the power of God manifested. And it's manifested so that the presence and operations of the Holy Spirit will come to pass in the lives of people. Now, if you do a thorough study of this in the Old Testament, for instance, you'll find that things were actually anointed. The furnishings of the tabernacle, for instance, were anointed. And they were anointed physically, and that signified that these were sanctified pieces of furniture, the various furnishings of the tabernacle, for instance. And so that, that, that signified sanctification. That meant that these are special, they are set, set apart, uh, they are exclusive. As a matter of fact, the anointing oil of the Old Testament, the recipe, the apothecary's recipe for the anointing oil was never to be duplicated for any other purpose or reason. No person was to ever have that up on them except those that were authorized to have it. If you were found um, making it, copying it, you were in violation of the law. It was a serious matter. And of course, the reason for that was not because God is picky, old and grumpy, but because it signified the exclusivity of the anointing. There is nothing in the world like the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Nothing like it. And in the realm of the Spirit, there are spiritual things that come up before God and the Word calls them a sweet-smelling savor, like the smoke of the aroma of, of certain sacrifices. And so, so we don't fully understand all of this, but, but there is an aspect to the spiritual dimension that would be akin to and similar to what we know in the natural as smell. 
And people have gotten over into the realm of the Spirit. And actually, in, in the spiritual dimension, they could sense the, the smell of things. Good and bad. Wouldn't you think an unclean spirit stinks? You see why we can't finish this in one week. But I know the Lord has led me that we should teach about this. We spent all that time talking about, um, you know, how faith works and what, you know, faith is. Well, what we have to understand is that whatever your faith appropriates, it's the anointing, it's the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit that will bring it to pass. So the idea that I'm going to believe God, but I don't want anything to do with the Holy Ghost is ludicrous. The idea that I'm just a word person, but I'm not interested in all that spirit and noise and gifts and all that. Well, you're going to miss out on a great portion of what God has for you. And I I can never figure out why people don't want to just cooperate with God. Why any human being would think they know more than God is beyond me. Why we think that we can dictate to God how to be God is beyond me. Because I can tell you truly, he thinks he's God. He is, and he knows it. Amen. And so things can be anointed to signify sanctification, but when people are anointed, and that could involve the anointing with oil, but it also could just involve the anointing that's upon them when the power and presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. These people can, are, are anointed, people are anointed to be a conduit or a pipeline or a channel, I really don't like to use the word channel much anymore because the cultists, occultists, and, and so forth have, have uh, hijacked that word. But it's, it's still true that when people are anointed, not only are they sanctified, set apart, but they are also made a conduit for the flow of the manifested presence, ability, and power of God. That's why when Paul laid hands on those handkerchiefs, and aprons in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, and they were taken to the sick and the demonized, those people were healed and set free from demon oppression because he was anointed, and what was carried with those cloths was the same anointing that was upon him. And we've seen that happen even in our lifetime and in this ministry, and it's, it's a powerful, powerful thing. But we're, what we're going to find out, maybe not altogether all of it tonight, but what we're going to find out is there are ways that that anointing can be increased in our lives. It can, it can rise in intensity. And there are things that can hinder it. And then there are, there are various uses of the anointing. You can be anointed for different things. In the Old Testament, uh, I mentioned the tabernacle a while ago. The people who put that together, the people who built that, who, who made that, the Bible teaches clearly it was the Spirit of God that came upon them that they were able to do what they did. They were anointed to build a tabernacle. They were anointed for the, putting together the furnishings and all the tapestries, all of that, the working of gold and all of the things, the furnishings of the, of the tabernacle. They were anointed for it. And so the anointing can do a number of things, and, uh, and it's all good. Any anointing from the Holy Ghost is good. Amen. And so, that, so people, 
when people are anointed, they are a channel through which the power of God flows, basically to confirm God's Word. The anointing is not ours in the sense that it's our property to use as we will, but the anointing is from God to accomplish God's purposes. Now, let's go to the book of Acts, please, chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and look at verse 38. These are familiar verses. Don't let the familiarity, (laughs) I'll get it out, of certain scriptures keep you from receiving further revelation from them. Because that's the danger of, of looking at scriptures that you've seen many, many times, is thinking we already know it. Um, we don't know any of these yet. We know something about some of them, but we don't know them completely yet. So we're still learning. Acts ten thirty eight says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we understand that the anointing is, is there because God is with us. So anytime someone's anointed, that means God's with them. It's important, then, that we respect and treat the anointing and the anointed in a proper fashion if we want to receive. Jesus, as we all know, is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Christ is from the Greek word Christos. We just kind of transliterated that word, took it from Greek to English, and dropped the os and just Christ. Instead of Christos, Jesus Christ. But that's where the word comes from. And it means the anointed one. That's what it means. The Old Testament corresponding word in Hebrew is the word that's translated Messiah. So Christ in the New Testament is equivalent to Messiah from the Old Testament. And of course, it's one and the same. Jesus Christ. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is what he is. Jesus is who he is. One in the same person. And of course, you can't talk about an anointed person, because Christ means the anointed one. You can't talk about an anointed person without making reference to, and by nature of just saying Jesus Christ. And you can understand why the devil wants to cause people to take that compound name in vain. But anyway, just saying Jesus Christ is acknowledging not only him, his person, and that he's anointed, but it's also acknowledging his anointing. It's acknowledging yoke-destroying, burden-removing power that comes through Jesus Christ. All healing, all deliverance, all aspects of Christian, New Testament, biblical salvation comes through Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. And I want to tell you, you and I, we're his body. So are you anointed? Yes, you are. According to 1 John 2.27, there is an anointing abiding in each one of us. We'll look at that verse uh, more uh, later on. But Jesus is the anointed one. And just notice Acts 10.38 again. In this particular passage, it's pointed out, that he was anointed with the Holy Ghost 
and with power. Dunamis, explosive power, self-energizing power, a power that never ends, the power of God. So Jesus on the earth in a flesh body required this anointing to do the works of the Father because he came in our place as our substitute and he took our place, was very man, but at the same time very God. And so therefore he was anointed. And he didn't do any ministry until he was anointed. And it would do you good as well not to try to do any ministry until you know about the anointing. Until you're aware of something about the move of the Spirit of God. Because trying to do spiritual things in natural strength is the most hard thing you'll ever try to do. It's the hardest job in the world to try to do spiritual things in the flesh. It's, it's, it's amazing and it's sad at the statistics of how many ministers leave the ministry every year. I mean, by the thousands. It's sad when you see in much of the church world how, uh, how pastors cannot stay because their health fails. They have emotional and mental issues in many cases. There's turmoil in the congregation, and they just don't know how to handle it. They just give it up, and, and it's really sad. And I'm not saying that this is always the case, so don't misquote me or misunderstand me. But in many of those cases, the problem really is not their sincerity, not even the call, but they don't know how to walk in the anointing. Because I can tell you from 42 years of experience, if you don't learn to walk in the anointing, the anointing, this job will drive you nuts. <laughs> and you've met that preacher somewhere, I'm sure. The anointing makes the difference. Hallelujah. It is yoke-destroying and burden-removing power. So Jesus, the Christ, is the anointed one. Now... Let's, uh, let's look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And uh, I'm reading this particularly because of how, uh, what a good picture this is. And you notice we, we, back, we jump back and forth between the Old and the New Testament because the anointing basically is the same in every age. They didn't know Jesus as we know Jesus. And they didn't have the Holy Spirit in an indwelling presence like we do today as righteous new creatures in Christ. But the anointing in the Old Testament, the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit would come upon people for particular jobs and service and different things that they would do. And so many of what we would call laymen of that day would not know much about this or experience much about this. But in many cases, they would know of people that were anointed. Like when Elijah was in the land, people knew he was a prophet of God. When Elisha succeeded him, they knew he was a man of God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, David the king. And in this case, King Saul. Things happen because when the anointing comes upon you, you will not be the same. Thank you for your enthusiasm. If, when the anointing comes upon you, you will not be the same. Uh, in the, um, in the, uh, the 10th chapter, verse 1, 
of 1 Samuel. It says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head. So evidently, then this is Saul, the first king of Israel. And evidently, this was a lot of oil. And kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Now notice the wording. Is it not? In other words, the reason I've done this is because the reason I poured this oil on you is because the Lord has anointed you. In other words, Samuel was saying, I have anointed you with oil. And I did it because God has anointed you with the Holy Ghost. Verse 2, when thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? If you don't know what that means, then when you get home, read the story. It'll make sense. Then shalt thou go... So Samuel is speaking to him now, and he goes on from that subject. We're going a little different direction here. Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor. And there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel. Bethel was in this day a very key place, a holy place. Bethel, the name Bethel means house of God. One carrying three kids and another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp. Music's always tied to worship, always tied to a move of God. And when you read your Old Testament, you'll know that it was one of the great keys to, the having, to receiving a word from the Lord. The ministry of the prophet. So powerful. So powerful. Verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. And thou shalt prophesy with them. And this last phrase is what I want you to really hang on to. And thou, and, and I'm sorry. And shalt be turned into another man. Hallelujah. Change. The anointing will produce change so much that it will be like you're a different person when you're functioning in that anointing, when you're flowing in that anointing. When you're under the anointing, sometimes people, I know this is true, and I know I'm not the only one that would testify to this, but there are times under the anointing that you will say things that later on you won't remember what you said. And somebody reminds you or somebody's transcribed it or whatever it may be and you read it. I've read, I don't, can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've read a prophecy or I've heard someone read it. And, I, you know, it's just to me it's amazing because I know where I come from. I know where I went to school. <laughs> it's amazing. Hallelujah. The anointing confirms the word. And causes it to literally come to pass. The anointing is like a garment. 
It's like a garment that we wear. And this garment, this spiritual garment, will insulate us from the destructive elements that surround us. And this garment will repel the devil and demons. And I don't know if you've thought about this much or not, but I can tell you that the devil recognizes the anointing. When Jesus came up out of the water and the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the bodily shape and form of a dove and God Almighty the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then there that day, that moment, the devil knew that that one he was looking for since the events recorded in Genesis chapter 3 when God said the seed of the woman will bruise your head, he knew absolutely positively this is him. And that's exactly why such a horrible time of temptation and such a strong spiritual battle began immediately after the baptism of Jesus. And that anointing. And the reason I'm saying that tonight is not to discourage you from the anointing, but to warn you that new levels equate to new devils. And you need to understand that when you want to walk in the power of God, you've got to be ready to deal with your flesh, you've got to be ready to deal with the world, and you've got to be ready to deal with the devil and keep all of them in their place, which is basically as a servant to you and under your feet. You cannot allow them to dominate you. If you allow the world to dominate you, you know what you get? You get these pseudo-preachers that we've had for the last 10 or 20 years that seem to be more interested in fame and fortune than they are in the move of the Lord. If you are more concerned about your popularity, if you're more concerned about how many people watch you, hear you, know your name, or read your book, you've missed the boat. This isn't a popularity contest. This is not a political machine. This is the body of Christ. It's not about how many people see my TikTok. Whatever. I mean, that might be. I think I have a little bit of an idea about it. Man, I could meddle a lot here. You've got to have, you've got to have victory over the devil. Many a minister has gotten into trouble. Part of it was their flesh. Part of it was the devil. And you can do things that will open yourself up to devils. That's the danger of pornography. That's the danger of certain types of uh, inter so-called entertainment that really has at its base and its origin demonic influence. I hope you know, if you've got kids in your house, I hope you know what they watch. I hope you check the history. They will roll their eyes. They will be unhappy. But hopefully they're not going to go to hell. You have to determine that nobody's going to hell from your house. And if you do go to hell, you're going to have to get away from me because people don't hang around me and go to hell. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And so, uh, turned into another man. It's very, very important. We wear the anointing like a garment. And it insulates us from the destructive elements in this world, just like a coat will insulate you from the cold in the winter. Well, that's the way the anointing is when you wear it like a garment. It insulates you from so much of the messes in the world. 
I, I, I hear about the same things that you do. We're all in the same world. We live in the same nation. And, you know, I could spend time every single week. I could spend time every time I get in the pulpit and, and spend an abundance of time complaining about the mess that our country's in, our world is in. I can make all kinds of statements that might be absolutely true and might be absolutely good in, a, in the sense of the material they are. But I am insulated. I'm going to be honest with you. If Mao Zedong resurrected from the dead and came from China to Washington and sat on a throne, if Jesus hasn't come for me yet, I'll have victory. I don't care. If you do a little study of history, you'll find that it has never been totally easy for the church to do its job. We have in this nation had a, a wonderful run, if you will, of freedom and liberty for the church. We are now being attacked in the media. We're now being attacked in the mindset of people, in the universities, and in the culture that we're living in. You and your beliefs, your Bible, your Jesus, your Holy Ghost, your prayer life is not appreciated in many places today. It's not the same as it used to be. And we need a revival in the church, and we need an awakening that touches our culture. And that's one of the reasons there's such a shifting and a sifting going on in the church world today. You cannot win the world by being like the world. Any more than you could go to some Amazon jungle and help a cannibal by simply teaching them to use a knife and a fork. You know, you've got to get to the root of the problem. And to get to the root of the problem, you have to put the axe if you will, to the tree. The Word of God has to be brought forth. And when people don't believe it and when people don't like it, then they're not happy about it. But that's why you've got to do this in the anointing. You can't do it in your emotions. You can't do it just because you're mad. You can't do it just because you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or, or you're an Independent or you're whatever. You can't do that that way. It's only in the Spirit we win the battle. And the anointing is a great part of that. Amen. Well, you know, I have run out of time, but I've not run out of stuff. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to, um, I'm going to lay my hands on these pieces of cloth because we referenced Acts 19. Those verses are 11 and 12, by the way. And there might be somebody here tonight that you, you have somebody you know, somebody you love, or somebody you feel led to um, send one to or take one to. And if you do, be sure to explain to them, Acts 19, 11, 12, what this is. This is not a rabbit's foot, a good luck charm. But this is a way of transmitting the anointing, the yoke-destroying, burden-removing power of God. One of the things I thought I might get to tonight, but I should have known better, uh, was the fact that we can place a demand on the anointing. Now, that may sound presumptuous, but if you'll stay with us, you'll find out it's not. 
it's, it's perfectly normal. It's per, or in the spiritual dimension, it's perfectly okay. And I want to share this quick testimony, and I'll probably share it again next week. But just recently, very recently, I had someone call me. And they actually called Glenna. They didn't have my number at that time, but they, then they wanted to talk to me. And they told me about a dream that they'd had concerning a family member that was going through a very serious health issue. And they said, they explained the dream, and they said, I don't understand, but I, you know, they just knew that there was something significant. And they said they felt led to call me. Well, this particular person just has confidence in the anointing of God on my life. And so she was ready to put a demand on that anointing. And she said, I just kept getting, you know, to call me, call me. And so she did. She explained it. And she said, you know, she wanted to know what was the interpretation. What did that mean? Well, here's what I need to tell you. I don't know that I've ever interpreted a dream in my life that I can remember. But she placed a demand on that anointing. I said, let me pray. And so the next day came and went. The next morning was when this particular family member was supposed to have this procedure and this serious thing going on. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir me. I was outside sitting in a chair. I was reading the Word. I was praying. I was doing, you know, what I do so many times in the morning. And the Spirit of the Lord began to come upon me. And already had been dealing with me, little bits and pieces. And I knew I needed a call. And I thought, well, maybe I waited too late because, you know, so many surgeries are very early in the morning. That's one reason I wouldn't want to be a surgeon. But anyway, <laughs> so I just felt led to call. And sure enough, the surgery wasn't until later in the morning. And the interpretation was very much about that uh, when the surgery would happen. And so the Lord just put it all together. And he gave me, the, he gave me an interpretation and, and just had the peace of God, the power of God. Well, we got the report back. Everything's good. Everything was needed to be done was done. So I'm telling you, you can put a demand on the anointing and people may end up doing things they've never done before or things they wouldn't normally do. That's what I'm trying to get over to you. Come to church with expectation. Whoever's ministering, whatever's going on, come with an expectation. Whatever you need, He will provide. If He has to take somebody out of their normal element, if He has to take a preacher where He's never been before or she's never been before, He can do that. And when people come expecting the anointing and they put a demand on the anointing of God, it's amazing how the blessings of God flow. Amen. Will you give these out, Jason? Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. And we believe that the anointing goes with these pieces of cloth, whoever and wherever they're taken, that they do their work to carry the anointing to them. Any spirit or spirits present have to leave. All sickness, disease, and pain and Infirmity has to go in Jesus' name. Let the anointing of God flow with these. Let it flow upon my brother now.
in Jesus' name. Restoration, healing, power, glory, strength, life, health, blessing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.